Hi there, and welcome to this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire. In a world that sometimes feels like it's spinning totally out of control, and with lives that so often seem to work in opposition to the spirit of the season, how are we to truly reclaim the splendor of the holy birth? Continuing our current Advent Christmas sermon series all about reclaiming Christmas in our lives and living, and based on Isaiah 35 verses 1 through 10 and Matthew 11 verses 2 through 11, here's the message entitled, Reclaiming the Splendor. Languishing in a dark and dank prison cell, John the Baptist, The angel proclaims surprise child of Zechariah and Elizabeth. That fiery wilderness preacher of proclamation and repentance sends his disciples with a message for Jesus. Or should I say, for a question for Jesus. Are you the one who is to come? Or are we to wait for another? It actually kind of seems like an odd question for John, of all people, to be asking. Not to mention it's all kind of defeatist, really. After all, just a few months earlier, it had been John who had baptized Jesus in the River Jordan. It was John himself who had boldly and loudly proclaimed him as the anointed one of God, the Messiah, the long-awaited mighty warrior, who would avenge Israel by wiping out the Roman oppressors, establishing a new kingdom like that of King David so many generations before. But you see, the thing is, that was then, and this was now. And now, stuck in Herod's jail with nothing else to do except pace the floor and ponder some of the things he'd been hearing about Jesus, there was plenty of room for John to have second thoughts. And so John sends his messengers to ask Jesus, quite plainly, are you the chosen one or not? Strange to hear such doubt coming from the same one who had been so adamant that the world prepared the way for this Messiah's coming. Even stranger that here we are on the third Sunday of Advent, just two weeks to go, from our celebration of Jesus' birth, and suddenly, suddenly, we're hearing one of Jesus' first and most ardent followers, and, not to mention, also his cousin, casting such aspersions about the legitimacy of his lordship. But writes David Lose, formerly of Lutheran Seminary, John's failure of confidence really shouldn't surprise us. After all, All that John had predicted and longed for in Jesus, that is the summation and climax of all of God's promises to Israel, none of this truthfully had come to pass. When John had made that proclamation, you see, when he had been so full of hope and anticipation, when he had been all fired up for this kingdom to come, John had literally expected the world to change at any moment. But now, 
things seem dreadfully the same. So now he's sitting alone in this prison cell and he's awaiting the carrying out of Herod's death sentence. John is, to say the least, concerned. He's doubtful and, well, he's just disappointed. And unless I miss my guess, friends, that's something maybe that a whole lot of us can understand, especially as we're now two weeks away from Christmas Day. To quote David Lose again, aren't we also still waiting for the consummation of the Christmas promise? Isn't it precisely the thing that is so wonderful about Christmas, the, the promises of peace on earth and goodwill amongst all, that also ends up being so difficult about Christmas? After all, you know this. One quick look at the headlines on any given day this month would be enough to convince us beyond all doubt that there is no peace and goodwill amongst people. And it's a scarce commodity in this age. Moreover, and we know this is true too, there's no denying you and I have our struggles even in this season of the year, maybe especially in the season of the year. Maybe there's been bad news from a doctor. Maybe there's been the loss of a job in this economy. Maybe you're struggling with the dissolution of a relationship or the festering of an ongoing conflict in your life. See, these are the things that do have a way of making us feel disappointed, if not downright concerned about the state of the world in one's own place within it. And I mean, come on, it's Christmas. It's bad enough, right, that, that we've got to deal with the harsher realities of life all the rest of the year. How come is it that it's right here, there before us at the very same time when everything else, even here at church, is focused on joy and cheer and celebration? I don't know about you, but it just doesn't seem to jive to me that every Sunday we are here singing songs and lighting candles and, and having good times and celebrations together, all of this that, that remind us of God's sure and certain promise of hope, peace, and joy. And yet what happens then? We head out the door and we go out into the Monday morning world and find out that it's the same old conflicted place it was before. Where's the hope in that? When is the peace that we so long for coming to fruition? I mean, we sing it every year. In fact, we're going to be singing it in a little bit. We're going to be singing joy to the world. But in this world that seems rife with suffering, I'll use this word again, it's just disappointing that the question arises with us and it lingers even amidst the celebration in the world. Where's the joy? Where's the real joy? Where's the splendor of it all? You know, what's interesting about our New Testament text for this morning, our gospel text, is that when John's disciples do find Jesus and bring him this question about whether or not he's truly the one that they've been waiting for, Jesus is really much too busy to answer them. 
After all, those who were born blind, they, they need to receive their sight. There are people who had never before walked who are now ready to get up and run. There are children, children who've never been able to distinguish the sound of speech, but who now have this incredible, miraculous opportunity to hear the loving tone in their mother's voice. Go back and tell John, Jesus says. Go back and tell him this. The blind see. The lame walk. Lepers, they're cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the wretched of the earth are learning that God is by their side. In other words, Jesus says, if what it was you were expecting was your hope made manifest, if you were looking to see your joy made real, then, hey, here it is. Count yourself most blessed. It's happening. Look at what you hear. Look at what you see. Remember everything you are experiencing right now because this is your hope put into action. This is the peace the world that the world is yearning for. This is the true joy that you've been seeking. In the words of the prophet Isaiah, this is the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Or, as it's translated elsewhere from the original Hebrew, Hadar, which means, amongst anything, the excellency of it. Or, even more directly, the splendor of it. The splendor of our God in which there will be everlasting joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. You know what's interesting about our Old Testament text this morning, and isn't it wonderful, and I think we notice it so much during the Advent season, how, these reasons, how all these readings connect. What's interesting about Isaiah's uh, words in this text is that he employs the wonderful vision of a barren desert wasteland that has become a flowering pasture with, with cool, clear water flowing in abundant supply. It's a highway through the desert. It's preparing the way of the Lord. And, and it's called, uh, in, in Isaiah's words, a holy way, a holy way on which the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Well, friends, we have this marvelous picture of this holy way. And what it is meant to tell us, friends, is this is Jesus. This is who Jesus is. Our holy way, friends, is the life, death, and resurrection of Christ Jesus, the one who restores our wholeness and who sets before us a clear pathway in life and beyond life to eternity. Yes, there's no denying it. Our world, oftentimes our very lives, can be the kind of harsh and relentless desert wilderness that Isaiah talks about. But in Christ Jesus, we acknowledge that in a tiny baby's birth, this little tiny child who grew up with strong carpenter's hands and with God's loving heart, 
There is true splendor to be found even in the barren wasteland of life's desert. It's an easy thing to miss. Even John, for all of his vision, for all of his heritage, for all that he must have heard from Zechariah and Elizabeth growing up, for all that he had prayed about in the desert wilderness, for all that he preached in his uh, baptism of repentance that, that he shared with the people, he failed ultimately to see this true, clear pathway that in that very moment lay right before him. And if it can happen to John, then I dare say it happens for you and me as well. That's what I love about this reading because Isaiah recognizes it, how easy this is a thing to miss. And, but he's quick to remind us that the thing about a desert is that oftentimes its look can be deceiving. At first glance, it may well seem barren and lifeless, but if you keep looking, perhaps after a rainstorm, maybe in the cool of the evening, everything that before was hidden begins to bloom. Everything that you and I going to the desert might think of as dead and lifeless, suddenly it flourishes. And where once there was no hope at all, there is joy and gladness. Well, friends, that's how God's love still works in our lives. And that's how doubt dissipates and true Christmas comes into our lives. This is the abundant blooming of the desert in our lives and in our world. And so we ask the question, where's the splendor of it all? How do we reclaim the splendor? of Christmas in a time when all seems so barren and lifeless? Well, you simply have to look. Look around and see what God is doing. You're going to find the splendor in the blooming. For a couple of years while I was in high school, I was part of an unusually close Sunday school class there were, as I recall, about seven or eight of us. We met in the pastor's office. We were all juniors and seniors, and we were guided by a wonderful older lady who loved us even as she was perplexed by us. <laughs> Looking back, I realize now that, that we weren't very good about following the prescribed curriculum. We, we spent most of our time talking about God, about life, and everything else under the sun that happened to be going through our minds and hearts as juniors and seniors in high school. I know, and I recall this very well, there were times we got so off track from the lesson of the day, our teacher, Mrs. Burt, Polly, she would just, I'd look over her and she'd just shake her head, sigh, and quietly shut the book. There was no point. <laughs> but I'll tell you what. A lot of our awareness of faith came out of that class. Part of my own growth in Christ came in that circle of friends. I was taught so much. We all were. In unique and powerful ways, mind you. Well, one of the people in that class was my friend Joe. You might remember a few weeks ago I was telling you about my friend Joe. 
And uh, suffice to say that the best way I could describe Joe to you is that he was a big guy in every sense of the word. Not only was he as wide as he was tall, football player type to be sure, he was also, everything about him was big. He was loud, he was outspoken, he had a tendency to be a bit of a braggart, and, and he certainly did have a way of running off the mouth at times. But as I shared with you the last time I talked about Joe, you couldn't help but like him, love him, it, it, even though he could drive you absolutely nuts. Well, it was about Christmas time, and in this Sunday school class we were all a part of, uh, the subject turned to what we were going to do during the holidays. And, and Joe was going on in typical Joe fashion about what he was going to get for Christmas, uh, about how big his family's celebration was, about his Christmas tree that was bigger and better than everybody else's in town. Like I said, this, this was the way every conversation went with Joe. But at some point, and I'll never forget this, there was a pause in the discussion. And one of the girls in the class, a girl we'll call Mary, finally spoke in a shaken voice that was barely above a whisper. Well, she said, I guess we're not going to have a Christmas tree in our house this year. And in the shelter and the love of that room, Mary then went on to tell us about her mother, who was spending most of her days in a drunken stupor, and about her father, who was powerless over his wife's alcoholism, didn't dare put up a Christmas tree for fear she'd knock it over and accidentally set the house on fire. Basically, friends, it was easier for him to, to avoid the whole Christmas thing than to really deal with the problem at hand. And Mary told us all about it. In fact, that probably likely was the very first time she'd ever told anybody about what was going on in her house. And let me tell you something, you could hear a pin drop in that room. Nobody else in the class, not even Joe, could speak. Well, needless to say, we all went home that day feeling a little less Christmassy than when we come in. It weighed heavy. And I can remember thinking a lot about it, and I know all of us did. But the next day after school, there was a knock on my door, and when I answered it, I saw it was Joe. And by his big red puffy eyes, I could tell he had been crying. And he didn't even say hello. He just thrust at me this thick wad of folded up paper. And he's saying, the only thing he said was, can you sign this? And I realized immediately that this was in fact a Christmas card. One that not only opened up, but actually unfolded into this huge two by six foot picture of a beautiful, fully decorated, evergreen Christmas tree. And though I already knew the answer, I looked up at this big hulk of a guy and I said, why? And with tears again brimming in his eyes, he just shook his head and said simply, 
Everybody should have a nice Christmas. And together with the others in our class, we took that card up to Mary's house and we gave it to her. You know, thinking back on it, we were kids. I mean, we didn't have a clue as to what we were supposed to say or what we were supposed to do about the situation. We didn't have the capacity, nor really could we fix this situation. So all we could do, all we could do at that moment was simply give her a hug and wish her a Merry Christmas. And what I remember the most about it now is that when she hugged us back, and she really hugged us, she cried harder than almost anyone I'd ever seen cry before. Now, I don't know much of what happened to Mary over the years. It's like so many of the people we grew up with. We, we kind of lose touch, and we don't hear how their lives turned out, but I, this much I can tell you. She lived her life carrying around a bit of the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. It was hers in the experience of a blooming desert. It was hers in the love of God, working small miracles in and through the big heart of a blustering teenager. And there is certainly a lot of joy and gladness to be obtained in that. Friends, to reclaim Christmas is to reclaim the splendor of it. To reclaim the splendor is to seize upon the times and places where God's presence and God's love are to be found. There's a book out there entitled Jerusalem Daybook, written by the poet James Baxter, and and he writes in this book that if you want to find joy, then feed the hungry. Give drink to the thirsty. Give clothes to those who lack them. Give hospitality to strangers. Look after the sick. Moreover, Baxter writes, bail people out of jail. Visit them in jail and look after them once they get out of jail. Help the doubtful to clarify their own minds. Help them make their own decisions. Console the sad. Forgive what seems to be harm done to yourself. Put up with difficult people and pray for whatever has life. When these things happen, says Baxter, God is present. Now, beloved, I know that sometimes at Christmas, and, so, and for that matter, the whole rest of the year, we are tempted, sorely tempted, to give in to doubting that true joy, any kind of, of real spirituality can ever be found in this world. But before any of us become so jaded or so disappointed that we lose our hope and lose our joy, we need to remember that even amidst the challenges of this world, there is splendor to be found in God's promise of a Savior in Jesus Christ. A joyful promise that continues, even now, to be fulfilled in our hearing whenever the blind see, whenever the lame leap for joy. 
So as this Advent season continues, as we draw ever closer to the manger of Bethlehem, let us be diligent about seeking out the splendor of our God in this place and at this time, during this Christmas and always. Let us be faithful in living out the promise of that splendor in our own lives. And may God bless us, everyone, as we do. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, Reclaiming the Splendor, part of our Advent Sermon Series at East Congregational Church that we're calling Reclaiming Christmas. It was recorded during our December the 11th service of worship at East Church, where you are invited to join us in person for worship each and every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road, which is just off exit 16 of I-93 in Concord especially this time of year, but always, I would love to have the opportunity to welcome you to our church, and I know you'll be glad you came. And that brings us to the close of this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I thank you for listening today, and until next time, may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.